Hello Centerway Church, happy summer, and congrats to all the students and parents that have finished up the school year. I'm Deidre. And I'm Meredith, and we're so happy to be gathering with you today. We're here to welcome you and give you some information, so hello to everyone joining us, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week, and hello to any watch parties joining us live today. Yeah, a very special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time. We're so glad that you're here. Over the next couple of minutes, we'll share some information to help you during your first visit with us. We're a mobile church and we're currently mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there. We hope to meet you in person soon, but as you visit us online today, we trust you feel at home here. You can learn more about us on our website if you have any questions. Mm -hmm. So you're here either gathering live on Sunday or you're watching or listening later in the week. If it's any time after our Sunday gathering, much of what I'm about to say can happen through our website. But if you're gathering live on Sunday, there are ways for you to engage the online platform. You can share your information with us. That'll just help us to follow up and get feedback from you. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. At any time during the gathering, you can request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. But no matter when you're gathering, if you would like to connect with us throughout the week, if you have questions, feedback, or need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. In addition to e emailing us, you can check out our social media and access the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They can look forward to songs and kid-friendly messages, the same scripture text that us adults will hear. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application question and grow together. Also on that page are resources related to the messages, like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for the series, and you can also access the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. Our team uh, does a great job creating those, yeah. and they're a great way to stay connected throughout the week. If you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for info related to today's gathering. Uh, even though most Sundays were online, we do have some in-person Sundays as well coming up, as mm -hmm. well as other opportunities to gather face-to-face. -face. We're really excited for that. One example of that is this coming Tuesday, we have an ice cream night. That and other information is on the calendar page of our website, so check that out. Um, we've also sent out an email with upcoming summer gathering info. If you didn't receive that and would like to, please reach out. We cannot wait to be together yeah. in various ways this summer face-to-face. Um, one final thing to note, we just wrapped up an eight-week series called Connecting the Dots. It was incredible, one of my favorites, mm -hmm. but I think I say that every time. Um, all the messages and resources from that series are archived on the messages page of the website. Uh, now, we've been studying the book of Mark since last fall, and today we're pausing our way through Mark, and we're going to spend the summer in the book of Isaiah. We're really excited about that. We, if you were with us, we spent the summer of 2019 in Isaiah as well. So if you have them, you may, may want to dig out those journals uh, that we handed out. And if you don't have one of those journals, we will happily mail you one. Just let us know. We are very excited for this series and we're calling it Summer Breakthrough. Sort of a play on words of summer break yeah. and breakthrough. And we'll see in Isaiah how the kingdom of God is breaking in and the Messiah is breaking through. And we're really believing that we'll all experience personal breakthrough That's in areas of our lives mm -hmm. where we need them. Uh, you'll definitely want to check out tomorrow's devotional video for more of an explanation of why we're spending time in Isaiah, as well as a little context um, and backstory on this book and what to look forward to during the series. Absolutely. That's awesome. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Noah, one of our Centerway students, will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then Meredith and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now, here's Noah, the text for today.
Hello, Centerway. My name is Noah, and I'll be reading Isaiah 6, 1 through 13 today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and through a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and we're excited to welcome you as we begin a new series today. Uh, something that you ought to know is that in 2019, we decided that we were going to spend our summers in Isaiah. The preaching and teaching team uh, determined that that would be a great way for us to spend our summers. And so in 2020, obviously, uh, we thought it appropriate to shift gears a little bit. Uh, but this year, we're starting up spending the summer in Isaiah again. And so today begins our summer series, which is entitled Summer Breakthrough, Summer Breakthrough. And we're picking up in Isaiah chapter six, as you just heard read. And today's message in particular is entitled Encounter, Encounter. So I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a game. It's called Mafia. And um, I'm going to oversimplify it, but it's a group game where individuals sit in a circle and uh, basically you have to try to um, guess different roles, different people, and people bow their heads at certain times, and then other people pick up their heads, and there's a narrator, and it's somewhat of a simplistic game, but kind of difficult to explain in this setting. It's simply to say, it's a group game that when I was in youth group as a kid, I attended a church, and uh, our youth group had older kids that would play this game called Mafia. And I remember one time in particular, I wanted to just fit in with the older kids so much. I had just turned 13. And so I was part of the youth group um, and uh, I was just excited to try to connect. And so I remember just talking a big game and how awesome I was at Mafia. And I was just super excited and just finding any way to try to connect and fit in and belong. And um, 
my parents had started uh, going to this new church, and so I didn't really know a lot of the people, and so it was really my attempt to try to connect. And uh, I started playing this game, and so all of a sudden, one of the uh, the older kids look over at me and say, uh, "Hey, well, I hear Claude's pretty awesome, man. You wanna you wanna sit in the circle? You wanna join the game, the mafia game?" And I thought, "Oh my gosh, like this is my opportunity to kind of fit in with some of these older kids." And you know, when when you're 13 and there's a bunch of 17, 18 year olds welcome you into their circle, it's just kind of exciting. And so I look at them and I go. No, thanks. I'm good. It's all right. I don't want to play. And like, you sure? I mean, I hear you're really good. And like, nah, no, nah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And so I completely just bail. I totally bail on the game and uh, I leave the room and just kind of hang out with some other people. And, uh, I'm just so annoyed at myself. I'm annoyed at the situation. That was my opportunity and I blew it. And the question I want to ask as we move into the text today is this, why do we sometimes disqualify ourselves? Why do we sometimes disqualify ourselves? I think the answer to the question is kind of tragically obvious. Uh, I want to submit to you that we sometimes disqualify ourselves because we know ourselves. Because we know ourselves. There's a little bit of a detail that I should probably mention about the game Mafia. Um, I don't know how to play it. I literally have no idea how to play the game. I was just trying to fit in. I wanted to belong. I started talking a big talk and then all of a sudden somebody called my bluff and welcomed me into the circle, something I thought would not happen on my best day and I knew I was going to be outed as not knowing how to play the game. In fact, it was so traumatic for me that at that point I determined I would never learn to play the game. And I was actually, my wife and I, Meredith, were the youth pastors at a church and we never played that game with our youth group. My kids play that game with their cousins and I don't know how to play. In fact, I had forgotten the name of the game and before I communicated this message, I had to ask my kids the name of it because I had forgotten. I completely lied. I just wanted to fit in. So again, sometimes we disqualify ourselves because we know ourselves. We know ourselves. Now, I don't mean that we're self-aware in some intentional, reflective way. I mean self-aware in the simplest, most easiest, obvious way. We just know ourselves, our true selves, not our best behaved selves, we know what we actually know about things. We know what it is that we've exaggerated. We know where it is that we've lied. We know what we are actually capable of. Not what people believe the best of. Not what it is that, you know, your mom, you know, just you are amazing. You're the best ever. And that little pep talk or your favorite coach or your best friends that just lie to you. And you're like, tell me more about the things I know are positive but not true about me. I'm talking about we know ourselves, the messed up versions of who we really are. We have a very realistic view of what we're truly actually capable of on our absolute best days. And to an even greater detail, we know what we're capable of on our absolute worst days. We know when we've exaggerated our abilities, like I've already said, and we're even when we're praised for things that we don't actually know. We realize in those moments that people are saying encouraging words, but we know the truth. 
In fact, sometimes we even feel like an imposter as people kind of praise us for something that we feel like in that moment we maybe accidentally overperformed in. We know our own pitfalls, our own shortcomings. We know ourselves. And if we're really honest, our tension goes even beyond our own abilities or lack thereof. <laughs> you see, we also know our motive in every situation. We know the wickedness of our own heart. We know that when we do good in order to be praised, like we didn't do good because we're good people. We did good because in that moment we wanted praise from others or we wanted to be praised by others in a way that made us feel better about ourselves. So it wasn't even about doing good or what others thought. We just needed a little bit of praise. We wanted to feel better about ourselves. We know how selfish we are, how self-absorbed we are. We know when we're wrong and yet we argue as if we're right. We know ourselves. Gosh, it's, it's kind of depressing, right? It's kind of depressing because we all know what I'm talking about on varying levels. And so that's why. That's why right there. We know ourselves and that's why we sometimes disqualify ourselves. It's because if we take the time to think about it, we're rather depraved, and we know it. Yay! <laughs> Sounds like a real pep talk, huh? <laughs> Welcome to Centerway. You're terribly depraved. We understand the depths of your depravity because we ourselves are just as depraved. It sounds kind of depressing, like I said, but before you beat yourself up too much, you need to realize that depravity is a human condition that we're all on the same playing field. It's something that we all struggle with. We are sinners. We're sinners. And so we're self-absorbed. We push to the top of the pile and we do whatever it takes sometimes. We regret things. And other times we, we think through how we could have done things differently. We're filled with regret. There's all these things that are a part of the fallen nature of humanity, Christian or not. To be human is to struggle with this idea of knowing really the depravity of your own heart. So whether or not it brings you any comfort, the fact is you are in good company. No one is exempt from this reality. And as I explained, a lot of what it is that I said resonates with all of us on some level. So what can we do about it? Is it just kind of, that's it? That's the reality? So fight harder, lie better, hide, uh, behave when it makes sense, try to, try to do good and just feel better at any opportunity you can because after all, this is your one and only life. I want to tell you that there's an opportunity for change, that the struggle doesn't have to consume us, that our own depravity isn't something that, that locks us in to this meager existence there's only one way, there's only one remedy for our depravity, and it's an encounter with God. An encounter with God. Now that may seem kind of super spiritual or even vague at best. So let me explain because it's what our passage is about today. This idea where Isaiah has had an encounter with the living God. So let's pick up in chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. It's an amazing God encounter. I want to focus for a moment on what it is that the seraphim said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? His glory. His glory. The Hebrew word for glory quite literally means weight. The whole earth is filled with his weight, his weightiness. So get this, God's glory means God's weightiness. If, if we were to kind of put an object into a, a glass of water to kind of illustrate what it is that we're talking about, the water would be disrupted to the degree of the object's weight, right? I mean, we all kind of understand some simplistic science, gravity, mass, dispersion, stuff like that. If we got a feather and we put it on the top of the water, there would be still a disruption, but it would kind of be a light disruption, maybe some ripples, because there's not a lot of weight to that feather, for example. But if we got a rock and we put that rock in that glass of water, there would be a splash. In fact, depending on the weight of that rock, the mass of that rock, if it went into the, the glass, the glass might even overflow. The water would be greatly disrupted because of the weight of that rock. This concept is really nothing new to us. The heavier the object, the greater the disruption and the rearranging of the water. Right? It's kind of simplistic science, as I mentioned. But if we go back now with that knowledge, with that kind of illustration, if you will, and we go back to Isaiah with this in mind, Isaiah isn't amazed at the proof of God in this moment. Think about that. As, as Isaiah has this encounter with God, he doesn't look and go, and I saw the Lord and I realized he was real. Right? It doesn't say uh, that Isaiah is amazed at the existence of God or that in some way this proves his belief of God. No, it's because he already knew and believed in God. But this encounter with God disrupted and rearranged his life. In fact, it, it shook the place they were. You see it? God's glory, his weight in Isaiah's life changed things. It was beyond just the knowledge of the existence of God. It was the encounter of God that caused things to change in Isaiah's life. Now, on some level, this should actually be kind of scary. Uh, if you profess to be a Christian on any level, you have to be kind of connecting the dots here. It means that we can know and believe that there's a God and not have that change anything in our lives. Think about that for a second. You can have a knowledge of God and even believe in God. But if you haven't had an encounter with God, you could simply check the boxes of Christianity. Why is that? How is that possible? How is it possible that we can do that? Listen, it's because we give other things, lesser things, more weight in our lives, more glory than God. Think about that for a second. Connect the dots of that reality. In our lives, we can give other things, lesser things, things lesser than God, we can give them more weight in our lives, more glory to them than we give God. Don't get me wrong. These lesser things don't actually possess more glory than God, but we act as though they do. 
which is why we disrupt and we rearrange our lives for those lesser things. It's kind of tragic if you think about it. There's so many examples that I can give. They're, they're virtually endless. Ways in which we rearrange our lives for lesser, for temporal things. And, and yet the things of God get pushed to the side. Why? Because we are giving more glory to lesser things. We're allowing them to be weightier in our lives. By definition, by assigning glory to lesser things, we're actually saying we are assigning worth and worship to these temporal things. We're saying, listen, the feather that really was just meant to ripple our lives, we're saying that we're changing everything as a result of that feather. And we're ignoring the existence of the rock. It's kind of a a discouraging thought because we're all guilty of it on some level. Every single one of us, we're not exempt. Whether it means elevating the, uh, the college that we want to try to get into above uh, our relationship with God, or if it means elevating a relationship with a spouse or a loved one, means increasing the value of uh, sports in our lives. The list goes on. Vacations, you name it. There's so many things, so many good things that we turn into ultimate things. And we say, listen, this thing, this thing should have the weightiest role in our lives. We should rearrange our lives as a result of this temporal thing. We all do it. We don't like this conversation. In fact, there might even be some of you that are wondering like, hmm, is he talking to me specifically? No, I'm talking to every single one of us because we all deal with this as humans. We need to process this. We need to wrestle with it. It has to be problematic. The reason why it has to be problematic because we can actually instill idols in our lives and cause our families and our loved ones to actually give glory to lesser things. I found in, uh, in one of my Bibles as I was doing this study, I found it written in my notes in one of the sections, uh, a knowledge of God provides room for us to shape God, but an encounter with God causes us to be reshaped. I don't know if somebody else said that or if I came up with it and wrote it in there, so I don't know who to give credit to. I'll simply say it again because I thought it was profound when I read it. A knowledge of God So knowing that God exists, believing in God, it provides us room to shape God. But an encounter with God causes us to be reshaped. When we have an encounter with God, it reorients our heart and mind. We are struck by the weightiness of God, by his glory, by his holiness. It unsettles us. Simply put, God changes our priorities. When we have an an encounter with God, it changes our priorities. It's not even to have um, to have a knowledge of God. I'm sorry, it's not even enough to, to have a knowledge of God. We need to have an encounter with him as well. So what does that look like? I think we sometimes over-elevate that. We over-spiritualize it. In fact, sometimes we've had an encounter with God, and then when we don't feel that sense of his presence, we wonder if that was just an experience. Was it valid? What does it look like to encounter God on a regular basis? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you remember that first real encounter? The first real encounter you had with God? It looked different for every single one of us, right? So it's not like a specific thing that we're looking for. I'm talking about a moment in which you realize the weightiness of God. 
that his glory filled your life, whether it was at an altar or in a room praying or when a friend or a loved one shared who Jesus was, a moment in which you surrendered your life to God, you felt the glory of his holiness in your life. It disrupted things. There was a weight, for me personally, there was a weight lifted off my life. The, the moment that I realized what it meant for Jesus to have paid a price for my sin and that I could walk in freedom as a result of that, it was, it was disruptive, it was mind-blowing, it was good news, but it had a ripple effect. It caused me to look at the world differently. It caused me to look at relationships differently. The things that I thought about, the things that I looked at, the, the ways that I engaged in conversation, all of a sudden, this reality of who God was, this encounter that I had, it changed and reoriented my life. Was it simply an experience? Or do you intentionally acknowledge his glory daily? I think sometimes we relegate encountering God to experiences that happen at a camp or a special service or, or something where, where kind of emotions are high and the music is perfect and the speaker is phenomenal and all of a sudden there's this encounter with God at an altar and you can't possibly replicate that anywhere else. That's not true. That's not what scripture says. Those are encounters with God, but God wants to interact with us and have an encounter with us daily. We need to pursue daily encounters with God. They don't have to be hyped up experiential moments. They have to be moments in which we acknowledge his weightiness in our lives. Allow his presence to, to disrupt our priorities. God's glory should mess with you. It should shake you daily. So let's look at Isaiah's response. Isaiah's response to the glory of God. Verses 5 through 7 say this, And I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is an incredible encounter on so many levels. There's a ripple effect for the way that, that we function for sure. But there's something that we have to understand about this moment. This is actually the first time in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah speaks. It's the first time that Isaiah speaks and he speaks in order to acknowledge what? His depravity. Woe. Woe is me, for I am lost. You see, an encounter with God reveals our depravity. It allows what we already know about ourselves to come kind of to the surface. The thing that we kind of repress and pretend doesn't exist. The, the depraved kind of sinner version of us that we don't really want to talk about, that we don't even really like, that we started this message talking about. It makes us uncomfortable. But the presence of God, the encounter with God, the glory, the weightiness of God in our lives, the response is, I realize how depraved I really am. Now, there's some context that I think is important. What we know about Isaiah from history and also from Jewish tradition is this. He's part of the royal family. He's actually the, the king's nephew, we believe. His father was the brother to the king. 
He's artistic. He's well-spoken. He's highly intelligent. This guy has everything going for him. He was an elite. But in the presence of the holiness of God, he realizes he's the problem. That's his response. He's a depraved sinner. Now listen, every time in scripture that there's a God encounter, it's followed by an awareness of the human sin condition every single time. And I want to argue that that that's also the way our lives function, that when we have an encounter with the living God, that's exactly what happens. We realize the problem is ourselves and our inability to resolve the sin issue of our own life. His confession causes an angel to come to him with the fire of God. Now, To a Jewish person, again, we have to understand the context and the mindset of Isaiah. A fire equaled judgment to the Hebrews. And so Isaiah is there and he sees the presence of God and he feels the weight of his glory. And his response is, I am unclean. I'm a sinner and I am a person that is in proximity to sinners. We as humans are sinning people. We are broken. I am the problem. And as he's going through this admission, through this confession of his depravity, an angel comes with with the fire of God towards him. And Isaiah has to think, I'm done. This is it. The angel's just, boom, going to end me right here. I can't handle the presence of God in my sinful nature. Now remember, his journey is like ours. He's self-absorbed and then self-aware. He's self-absorbed not because because he's a bad person, but because he's a human. The human condition of being very much about self. He's self-absorbed and then in this moment, he's self-aware of his sinful nature. And what happens? Verse 7 Is he killed? Verse 7. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's the gospel. It's the gospel right there. In our sinful depravity, Jesus died the death that we deserve and atoned for our sin. You see, there's an awakening when we, when we have an awakening to the truth of the gospel, it's this unearthing encounter with God that disrupts everything. And we realize the depravity of our own condition, the realization that we can never resolve our own life. And in that moment, we just think, God's just kind of, he's going to end me. Like, I'm so unworthy. I can never fix this myself. And in that moment, instead of experiencing the judgment of God, We experience the grace of God because of the judgment that Jesus took for us. Jesus died the death that we deserve and atoned for our sin. The gospel awakens our heart. So we have to daily encounter God. We daily have to go before the Lord and speak the gospel to ourselves to awaken our hearts and mind. Because as humans, we fall in to that, that selfishness, and, and we immediately talk about how unqualified we are as those moments are exposed. But the reality is that in our brokenness, in our inability to ever be qualified, that Jesus himself paid the price. So get this, as a result of the gospel, when we fail, when, not if, okay? <laughs> For those of you that are willing not to lie to yourself, when we fail, we're able to remember 
God's affirmation and love for us. That's what the gospel does. While we were enemies of God, while we were still sinners, he loved us so much that he sent his son. And so we can remember in those moments of failure, God's affirmation and love for us. But when we succeed, we can also remember that we're sinners saved by grace. See? You see the the balance there of what the gospel provides? It doesn't allow us to become arrogant, and it also doesn't allow us to push ourselves down as as disqualified, disqualified, depraved sinners. No, the gospel says, listen, you are so loved that you can't even believe it. And yet, you are so aware of, of the grace that's been awarded to you that you function with humility. And so you have this humble confidence. The gospel allows you to walk in humility and confidence to do whatever it is that the Lord might ask you to do in every and any situation. You're equipped by what? By his gifts that he bestowed upon you. And then he's calling you, your one and only life to be lived intentionally and on purpose. This is more than great news. Your life has reason. You have purpose. That's how the gospel breaks through. That's how it changes absolutely everything. And so here's Isaiah. And he, and he has this moment where he experiences the weightiness of God that disrupts everything. And he realizes how much of a sinner he is. And an angel of God comes towards him with the fire of God. And instead, it atones for his sin. And now, in this moment, he is undone. And what happens? Verse 8. Again, Isaiah speaking, not speaking, but writing. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. See the progression? The outflow of an encounter with God. When we have an encounter with God and the truth of the gospel, the outflow, the evidence of that encounter is missional living. It's missional living. When we are when we are filled with the awareness of that which Christ has done for us, the outflow of that is a mission. It's a purpose. Like, here I am, God, send me. Wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is that needs to be the priority of my life, God, I'm not going to settle for the lesser things. I'm not going to allow the, these temporal things to reorient and rearrange my life. No, God, what it is you're calling me to do matters. That's the thing that matters. That's the center of our marriage. That's the center of our relationship. Relationship. That's the center of my life. That's the thing that informs the sports, that informs the job, that informs how I spend my money. It informs everything because you are the heaviest thing in my life. You have the glory and the weight in my life. Here's the thing. What's incredible is that the next verses go on and God gives Isaiah a heads up. He says, hey, just so you know, Nobody's going to listen to you. doesn't matter how articulate you are, and you are articulate. doesn't matter how intelligent you are, and you're pretty smart. doesn't matter how elite you are, how important you are. Nobody's going to listen to you. Isaiah, for the rest of your life, you're going to be proclaiming the truth, and people will dismiss you. And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me whatever you want, God. 
This isn't about my perception of how my life would play out. I have a great awareness of who you are and what it is that you are doing now that I have had an encounter with you, the living God. And so therefore, I have no other option. Send me. I want to live for you. All of it is for you. You see the difference? We're being lulled to sleep in our culture time and time again by the cares and the affections of this world that cause us to settle for lesser things, that give lesser temporal things greater weight in our life. And it takes us off mission. It gets hard and we go, wait, if it's hard, then maybe it's not a God thing. (laughs) Wait a second, but people aren't paying attention. So maybe we missed the voice of God here. (laughs) Nowhere in scripture is it about that. It's about obedience to that which God has called you to do and who he's called you to be because he desperately loves you. You're far more valuable than you ever dared hope. It's incredible what it is that God has done for you and for me. Listen, we encounter the glory of God and his weightiness. And then his mission reorders our priorities. That's the reality of a a life that has been disrupted by God's presence. An encounter with God. Will you allow God to break through this summer? We will allow the gospel to break through and disrupt your life. Will you allow the weightiness of his presence to cause you to maybe reorder things, reschedule things, be disrupted a little bit? Man, we don't like that. (laughs) But if God is the most important thing, if he's the heaviest thing, the weightiest thing, if he really truly possesses the glory in your life, then you'll gladly say, here I am. Send me. The answer is yes, whatever it is, God. And so we say every week that the text requires something of us. And this week, the question I want you to ask yourself is this, how will I offer my yes to God this week? How will I offer my yes to God this week? Not a conditional yes, not a if this works out then, but yes, God. Yes, and a rhythm of daily when your feet hit the ground saying, God, would you, would you reorient the priorities of my life? Will you give me a mind that, that seeks after you, that I would be a person just quick to listen and slow to speak today? God, would you allow the mercy that you've awarded me to be evident in the way that I award mercy and grace to others? How will you offer your yes to God this week? For some of you, As you're listening to this, the way you offer your yes is to allow him to be the savior of your life. Yes, Lord, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. If that's you today, whether you're watching live or listening or watching later, I want to encourage you to just pray a prayer wherever you find yourself right now. It doesn't have to be exactly like this, but something that acknowledges the fact that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for your sins, and ask him to be the Lord and leader of your life. Just say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins and come and be the Lord and leader of my life? You have my yes. Here I am, send me. If you prayed that prayer and you're with us live today, I want to encourage you to just push on the request prayer button. It'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts, and we'd love to talk to you about the next steps of the decision you made so that it's not just kind of an experience or an emotional moment, but it's a decision that you've made and there's clear next steps for it. If you're watching or listening to this later on, uh, I want to encourage you to reach out to us via email or through our website. We'd love to talk with you as you begin this journey. 
For others of us that have already surrendered to the Lord and have already asked him to be the Lord and leader of our lives, I want to challenge you. What does it look like to offer your yes? Does it mean that you have to reprioritize some things? Have, have some things gotten out of balance in your life? What does it look like to truly live on mission? Are, are, you, are you serving him? Are you living for him? Are you redirecting your time, your talent, your treasure? Is everything about what it is that God has called you to do and be? Or are you pursuing the world's standards of success or comfort or whatever lesser thing? I'm not here to cast judgment. I'm here to ask you to consider the implication of the text on your life and to consider what it looks like to offer your yes to God this week. So let's pray and declare ourselves available. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are aware of your glory, of your holiness. We're struck by the beauty of your holiness. And so, Father, I pray that you would disrupt our lives, that you would direct and guide and lead, Lord, for the people that, that connect to Centerway, that they would have an awareness of the truth of the gospel that would cause them to be unsettled in a way that is exciting and incredible and life-giving, that they would live on the verge of God risk after God risk because of what you've called them to do and be, that they wouldn't be lulled to sleep by lesser things, that they would reprioritize their lives as a result of what it is that we've heard here today and simply say, yes, God, whatever it is, the answer is yes. So would you speak? Would you ask us, Lord, so that we can respond with our yes to you? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Excited as we begin this summer series and continue throughout these uh, upcoming weeks. So uh, excited to see you next week as we continue. Until then. Well, if that is any indication of the rest of the series, I am so excited to dig further into Isaiah and taking time to apply the text. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. We are excited all the ways that you're going to offer your yes to God this week. Remember that applying the text is one of many ways to worship this week. Absolutely. Another way we can worship and worship together is through singing. And we're about to do that if you're gathered live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still sing along with the video posted on Facebook or with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the new Summer Breakthrough playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes.